0: Well, it is graduation weekend, and a lot of people are uh, thinking about new steps, new dreams, what's next. Some people uh, going off to college, some people entering into the workforce, some people uh, seeking new direction and opportunities before them. And you know, that is great. And and today I actually wanna talk about that. And I got reflecting back to when I actually graduated from high school. I have four older brothers, an older sister and a younger sister. And so when I went off to college, I was actually the sixth member of our family to go off to college. And I'm going off to college. I, I'm, I'm packed up everything that I'm gonna take. And actually my brother, John, my second oldest brother, uh, drove me down to Bloomington, Indiana, about an hour from where I grew up in Indianapolis and, uh, and I was gonna enroll at Indiana University uh, as a freshman. Now, when we left the house, uh, my mom had been through so many college send-offs, I don't even remember if she got out of her chair. Um, I, I think she might just said, hey, we'll see you Labor Day or whatever. Uh, uh, you know, this was routine for her, but for me, it was a big deal, obviously. And. Uh, and she loved me and, and, and wished me well and was a big fan. But my brother was the one who actually took me. And my brother took me to this dorm. It's called McNutt Quadrangle on the campus of Indiana University. I believe it has been torn down since then. But this is the entry to it. And believe it or not, I had so little stuff. I mean, it wasn't like what we have nowadays, where you know, bring, people bring all this technology and you know I had so little stuff that the two of us came and here's the next picture. The two of us actually came, parked their car on the curb and in one trip from his car, carried everything into my room, which was exactly this room. This room right here was my room at McNutt Quad. I remember that day well, and we took it all in in one trip. It was a triumph. And for guys, it's important that you take it all in one trip, okay? So anyway, um, so then he takes me out to eat and he says, Quentin, I want to take you out to eat. One of my favorite spots on campus. And he took to Mother Bear's Pizza. Uh, I mean, it's just, it was, it kind of is very deep, but it doesn't look like much from the street. But man, they have fantastic pizza, still in operation today. And that's Mother Bear's. So we go into Mother Bear's and my brother sits me down. And we're kind of chit-chatting and things. He goes, Quentin, I want to tell you how to be successful academically at college. And I said, okay, wow. And you know, I'm thinking, okay. because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you the wisdom that I have experienced. He'd gone to college. He'd gone to law school at Indiana. So he says, I'm going to uh, give it all to you. I said, okay, that's great. And I, I'm thinking, you know, I'm going to write this all down. He says, I have four things to tell you. Go to class. Take notes. Read the material. Study for the exams. That's it. That's it? Yeah. That's it. Four things. Go to class. Take notes, read the material, and study for the exam. Okay, great. And guess what? I did those things, and it worked out just great. You know, I actually, it was pretty simplified, condensed-down wisdom. Guys, I'm, if you're going off to college, you know, that's great wisdom for you to, to listen to that. Uh, and wherever you're heading. So great stuff. So I, what, I, what occurred to me is that I... I really need to hear that, that kind of college talk over and over and over again in my life. It's just boil it down, condensing it down to some quick takeaways that will help me, where, whatever I'm doing, going to college or starting a family or building a relationship with someone or, or buying a house or a car or, or, or just... Uh, Doing anything that is this venture of my life, Uh, I want to. I want to advance my career. I I, want to grow up, you know. I want to mature. Whatever it might be obviously our, our relationship with Christ and with one another, all of this. And that book of Proverbs is basically about that. It's a long book, but it has these pithy little wisdom statements. And it's kind of like my brother's, let's boil it down to, you know, four statements. And you collect those together and you got some great wisdom. So today I want to talk to you uh, about how to help uh, yourself uh, advance in your life, your relationships, and your influence. How you can find help and it will help others as well. Uh, And we're gonna focus in today on interpersonal skills, on social interactions, on people skills, soft skills they sometimes call them. Uh, It's about forward movement in your life and in your relationships and in your influence. Um, I'm gonna give you two kind of things on each of these uh, areas is is what what helps and what does not help, all right? Uh, And for example, what does not help is skipping class. What does help is going to class. Uh, Skipping class is shooting yourself in the foot. Uh, Going to class is doing yourself a favor, okay? And Solomon has a way in the book of Proverbs to do this in a pithy way about all these things. Now all of these things, and we put them into our lives and take them to heart, and we have to let them sink in, and some of them you probably heard already in the book of Proverbs. We'll hit on them again briefly, but repetition is important. That's why Solomon just keeps going after stuff. But ultimately all of this does what? It honors and glorifies God because he made us and we're taking the wisdom that he has in Jesus Christ and in his word and we're pouring it into our lives. It reflects God. It honors God. It it glorifies him. And it makes me more Christ-like because Christ was Uh, in in Christ are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So we become more like him. Uh, And it brings untold blessing to my life and to yours and to everybody that we are around. And it also helps us to have, build a better influence, both with our families, our friendships, and and with the people on the outside, people are outside of Christ. All of these things are going to help us. These, I'm gonna give you 10 of them, actually, all of them. We're gonna cover both Proverbs 17 and 18 today. We only briefly covered 17 last weekend. So I want to talk to you. And here we go. First thing I want to talk to you is about your work ethic. Your work ethic helps you advance. Okay your work ethic. Here we go. A prudent servant will rule over disgraceful son and share an inheritance among brothers. The picture here is you've got a person who has a place of honor in the family. He's the son. And in the ancient world they also had servants who helped them. And he says, actually, the person who's going to get ahead more in this situation is not the son who takes his uh, position for granted in the family, you know, and he thinks he kind of it kind of owes it to him. He's going to be great, and he dishonors his family. He's disgraceful. He's lazy. He doesn't do what he's supposed to do. He doesn't follow God. But then there's a prudent servant. He's wise. He doesn't have the honor of a family blood relationship, but he's just a good hard worker. He's wise. He's thoughtful. He's considerate, and he does his job well. He works hard. And he says, who's going to get ahead in this situation? It's going to be this servant who has the inheritance among the brothers, not the disgraceful son. All right? You get it with this? The the disgraceful son just feels entitled. I deserve X because of Y. Whereas the wise servant says, you know what? I'm going to work hard and we'll see what happens. And he gets honored. He gets inheritance among the brothers. Chapter 18, verse 9 says something Similar, it says, the one who is lazy in his work is a brother to a vandal. What does that mean? It means um, passive neglect of your responsibility is almost the same as active destruction, vandalism. So laziness not doing your job is almost like vandalism. They're equally destructive in their outcomes. So the principle here is if you want to advance in your life, your relationships and in your influence, here's the chart. This is what is not helping you. It will not help you to assume that you're entitled to what you want because of your position, tenure, whatever, I, they owe it to me. It's not gonna help you. They're not gonna buy that. This helps, do your job well. Do it well, no matter what your position or how long, whatever. Do it well, do it exceedingly well. Pursue it, be wise, thoughtful, considerate and hardworking this is just simple wisdom. Keep going on. How about your conversations in life? How do those influence your life relationships and influence? Well, he says in chapter 17, verse 4 a wicked person listens to malicious talk, and a liar pays attention to a destructive tongue. So, this person uh, is a sponge for negativity. In their conversations, they take in negativity, they take in bad talk like a magnet. Like a moth to a flame, they just go to the bad stuff. And it's all negativity and destruction and maliciousness is always on their radar. That's what they do. Bad idea. Verse 17, chapter 17, verse 9. Whoever conceals an offense promotes love. Whoever gossips about it separates friends. This is taking a different approach. It says when when this person is hurt, uh, they're offended somehow... Uh, rather than telling every, the world about it and sharing it broadly, they conceal it. They work it out privately. Sometimes they just let it go. Uh, I'm not talking about hiding some criminal activity or abuse or something. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the ordinary offenses of life that we all experience. Uh, and the person who is offended here promotes love by saying, you know what, I don't need to put a billboard up about this. I don't need to tell My three best friends or 20 best friends or people that aren't even friends about how I've been offended. I don't need to do that. I can just keep that to myself or work it out and it's going to be fine. You know, Uh, I don't need to do that. I can let love cover that over. A multitude of sins says another place in Proverbs. But whoever gossips about it separates friends. The person who starts telling people, other, they end up separating relationships. Because guess what? These two people, there's an offense. And then this person, instead of uh, loving and forgiving or letting it go or whatever it is, they go tell these other people, some of whom are these friends with this person, and now they've separated these friendships. Guys, this happens so often. It's so sad, but it happens constantly. Um, By the way, you really appreciate... Somebody, um, we were talking about this week at, at one of our staff meetings. You really appreciate when maybe you did something wrong and somebody could throw you under the bus, but they don't. They choose not to throw you under a bus. That is what this talk about. They conceal an offense. They're promoting love. They're not always having to tell everybody else how they were offended or the whole story or the rest of the story. They just love and let it go. Um, chapter 18, verse 8. A gossip's words are like choice food that goes down to one's innermost being. In other words, it isn't just what you say. It's actually just what you listen. When you take it into your ear and let it enter, it just goes into your ear and it's like taking food in. It tastes so good, juicy tidbits, but they go down into your soul and they they do something to you that's not good. It, It actually corrupts your inward person. So once you hear it and once you give attention to it, and you take it in, it never really leaves you. It actually is always a part of you. You've talked to malicious talk, a destructive talk, bad talk, filthy talk, whatever. It just becomes a part of who you are, and that's, that's not good. God can forgive that, but it's gonna affect you. Here's the principle. Here's what's gonna help you to advance. Uh, not help you to advance is to listen to gossip and air all your grievances to everybody else. Broadcast it. What helps you is to let love rule in your conversations there's forgiveness, there's the benefit of the doubt, there's not holding a grudge, there's reconciling, we're working it through, whatever it might be, you do that. And it just, like Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You can't always control everybody else, but you can control your own heart. And you said, I'm gonna live at peace. All right, there you go. Okay, this is gonna help you advance your life, uh, your relationships and your influence. Okay, here's another one, Um, your personal growth. So this is when you need, I need to grow personally, a rebuke. Someone corrects us. Someone says, this isn't right. You didn't do this correctly. Uh, or you acted wrongly in this situation. This, that, that simple word cuts into a perceptive person. They perceive this. They're listening. They have a teachable heart. And it really, they take it to heart. It really cuts into them. Not in a negative way, but it actually makes a huge impact on them because they're wise people. They're always learning, wanting to grow. Whereas this actually has one word of correction has more impact on a person who's eager to grow and listen and learn than a thou- hundred lashes into a fool. Um, so, you know, in other words, for the fool, it's an exaggeration here, but it never really sinks in for that person. They just don't listen. They don't want to hear it. When confronted, they will never, uh, respond and take it in because their defenses are up and they say, I want to hear it. And so, uh, Another verse, verse twenty-four in chapter seventeen. Wisdom is the focus of the perceptive, but a fool's eyes roams to the end of the earth. A perceptive person, a wise person, person who wants to learn and grow, says, "What can I learn today? What new wisdom can I take in today from, from what I'm reading, or what I'm looking, or what someone is saying to me? How can I grow spiritually, relationally, financially, um, in in any way in life? They're constant learners. Wisdom is their focus." Whereas a fool's eyes roam to the ends of the earth. They're just always scattering around looking at every last thing. And and they're constantly looking for the next shiny object. And moreover when they're given something that is constructive, criticism, they look all over the earth for what's my excuse? Who else can I blame? That's That's what an unwise person does, a fool, which is kind of a morally corrupted person or a person who's just not following the Lord in this. At chapter eighteen, verse two, says, "A fool does not delight in understanding. They don't care about that. That's not what they're interested in. In growing, learning, they only want to show off his opinions. So this is between the difference between listening to learn something and talking to impress someone. This is the difference between wisdom and folly. Chapter eighteen, verse thirteen: The one who gives an answer before he listens." This is foolishness and disgrace for him. In other words, you start talking to them about something and they are just waiting to respond. They're starting to they interrupt and they, they already know the answer before they've even heard what you have to say or even heard oftentimes from people that are in a position of mentoring, teaching, whatever. Jumping to conclusions. Doesn't even attempt to understand. Here, here's, here's, the, here's the principle here. If you want to advance in your life or relationships... And in your influence. This is not helping you to dismiss direction for your improvement. To say, I want to hear it. Just dismiss it out of hand. They're trying to help you to improve or to grow and you don't want to hear it. You're just a brick wall. This does help you. You say, I'm going to commit to learn and grow even when it's hard. It's a hard situation or it's hard to hear. Or it's just hard to study or whatever. I'm going to do this. This is the principle of how to advance in your, per, your personal growth. Let's keep going. Let's talk about the company you keep, who you hang out with, who you listen to, who you, you, you who's your soci, uh, closest associates. I'm not talking about befriending people who are far from God. That's great, needs to be done. I'm talking about people that are in your inner circle. Um, we are so shaped by these associations. So, uh, chapter 17, verse 11 says, an evil person desires only rebellion. They're looking for rebels. They're looking for people who are getting in trouble. They're looking for people that cause problems and who rebel against legitimate authority and law and good sense and common sense. And what it says here, a cruel messenger will be sent against him. In other words, that's going to hurt you in the long run. When you listen and associate with people who are rebels against truth and goodness, eventually a cruel messenger, God's going to send you a message in the form of, consequences in a form of uh, relationships broken in a form of all sorts of things going to be sent against you it's not going to go well for you so when you're disloyal to the family to the team to the friend to the spouse and to God and you only want it your way or you're selfish we all get this way we want to throw off all the restraints and have it our way the warning is what goes around comes around And sooner or later, you're going to experience some severe consequences. A cruel messenger. Traitors, disloyal rebels get in trouble eventually. Beware of hanging with people who constantly run down other people. Who constantly push against the the truth and goodness and wisdom. Chapter 17, verse 12. Better for a person to meet a bear robbed of her cubs than a fool in his foolishness. You talk about mother bears? Okay, that was a pizza place in Bloomington, Indiana. But there's another kind of mother bear and it's this one. A bear robbed of her cubs. What does a bear robbed of her cubs look like? Extremely angry, extremely defensive, very protective and extremely violent. Who wants to rip you to shreds. Okay, that's what the bear is. Mother bear's not happy. And this passage is saying it would be better for you to hang out with mother bear that angry than a fool in his foolishness. That's how important your closest associations are to you. When you hang out with rebels and fools, what you're doing is you're hanging out with people who justify their bad behavior. I mean, mother bear, she thinks she's doing right. She's, and she's protecting her kids. She's going to, she's going whatever she does to you, claw you to death, maul you, whatever. She's going to be full, feel totally justified to that. This is also, fools justify their bad behavior. They feel their reactions are perfectly rational and they cause great amount of harm and they rationalize it. And what it's saying here is, you're better off spending time robbing mother bear than spending time with people like that who justify bad behavior, who are rebels and just fools in the way they live their life. They reject God's wisdom. They don't wanna walk in the way of Jesus. He says, you're just asking for trouble. Here's the principle. It's only really not helping. This passage doesn't talk about, you know, what helps, but it's, this one's uh, basically you're, 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 what's not helping you is to undermine others, to join the club of rebels, to, you know, go against God. Or to waste your time on convinced fools. They're absolutely certain they're right. A fool in his foolishness. He's like, he's doubled down on it. He's absolutely sure this is the right way. Don't go there. Jesus said another way. He said, you know, um, don't throw your pearls before swine. If you take the most precious things in your life, especially the gospel, and you just throw it before people who are are antagonistic, uh, just extremely antagonistic, you may get, mauled. That's what pigs do. They, they turn on you. And they don't care about the preciousness of your life or the gospel or anything else. Okay, let's keep going. All right. Uh, let's talk about handling conflict. When conflict arises, which it inevitably will in any good relationship, in any good marriage, in any good friendship, workplace, whatever it might be, there are going to be conflicts. All right. So here it is. To start a conflict, that is to actually pick a fight, is to release a flood. Conflict, some will inevitably happen anytime two people get together. But to actually kind of pick a fight, you're releasing a flood. You've broken the dam and now it's all going to spill out. You've, you've started something and you are going to regret doing this. Stop the dispute before it breaks out. So with our words, we can gentle answers turn away wrath or anger. So be careful how you respond. It's easy to pick a fight and start something when it doesn't need to be started. All right. Verse 19 of chapter 17. One who loves to offend loves strife. So there's some people that just, they just like kind of offending people. They're abrasive. They're needlessly provocative. Um, They have a chip on their shoulder. And it says here they build a high threshold. threshold. This probably is saying, is like they're building walls, walls. uh, between uh, people, they're, they're, they're saying, I'm gonna put up this giant wall, and uh, not for protection, but just because I, I don't like you. Um, what happens is you invite injury. In other words, something bad's gonna come of that. When you, when you um, needlessly provoke people, um, when you uh, move in next door to somebody and immediately offend them, or you immediately build a high wall. Um, You're starting a conflict. Uh, Chapter 18, verse 18, the first to state his case seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. Here's a common issue is that you listen to somebody and they're telling you what happened to them and what so-and-so did to them or what their employer did to them or what this friend did to them or what their spouse did to them. And what always happens or what usually happens is they seem right. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, and you totally are pulled in by that. And if you're not careful, you, you forget that there are what? Two sides to every story. You're probably not hearing the whole story. You might be, and there's nothing wrong with being a sympathetic friend and so forth. That's great, but you always have to remember there's two sides to every story. It says, it seems right until another comes and cross-examines him. It's almost a court scene here. And yeah, when they're telling their story, it makes sense until somebody says wait a minute, what about this and what about this and what about this? And they begin to poke holes in their story and suddenly it collapses. Not every time, but this does happen. So the point of all of this is that there are two sides to every story. And you know, I've said this before, but I'll repeat it, it bears repeating. When you hear, like in a marriage situation, and I learned this over the years, many years of pastoring, when you hear a spouse come in and they tell about a conflict or an issue, I now know what, how, what percentage of, do I know of the story? I know you said 50%, I don't, I know 25%. Now I hear the other side, the other spouse comes in independently and they share their side. Now I'm up to 50%. I get both of them together, spend a lot of time with them, hear both sides of the story thoroughly. Now I'm up to 75% and I'll never get to 100% because no one knows what goes on behind closed doors. So be careful. I I had to remind someone one time who came to me and said something, shooting off on something about which they had really very little knowledge of. And I said, be very careful of commenting or making a judgment about something of which you have no firsthand knowledge. Were you actually there? Did you actually see this? Or are you an objective person who is witness this if you're not then realize be careful about this here's the principle handling conflict when conflict arising arises this is not helping pick a fight take sides and cause even more drama that is not going to help you get ahead in any friendship In any relationship, in any marriage, family situation, work situation, neighbor situation, none of that is going to help you. What is going to help you is look for the win-win. There's two sides. Is there a win-win here? Is there some way that we could bring resolution or at least an acceptable um, end to the conflict, right? And maybe everybody involved can win, 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 win. That's how leaders... Lead, that's how winners win. They look for win-win, okay? This is how you're going to advance in your life relationships and influence. How about your maturity? Especially as you're interacting with people, how mature are we in how we respond to interactions? actions? It's related to what we've already talked about. Chapter 18, verse one says, the one who isolates himself pursues selfish desires, He rebels against all sound wisdom. So the scene is, for this verse, is this. We're interacting, we're going about living our lives, doing our, our stuff. And a situation arises in which it requires me or you to learn some wisdom. And it also requires us to actually act in wisdom... Love people, love and wisdom, have some savvy, have some tax, have some diplomacy, have some listening skills, all bridge building, all those things. Maybe even listening to some very hard things to hear. This is maturity in interaction. That's what mature people do. But this verse is not talking about a mature person. It's talking about an immature person. This person has no room for that sort of behavior. Instead, they isolate. They, they're immature, they mope, they sulk. Don't tell me what I don't want to hear. And they just walk away from it. And they have no, they reject, rebel against all sound wisdom. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. That's what they do. Your maturity interactions, this is not helping you. To say, I'm going to take my ball and go home. And I'm going to play the victim. This is so destructive. That kind of isolation and rebelling against sound wisdom and moping and sulking and playing the victim is so destructive to every relationship to your life, your relationships, and your influence so destructive this one doesn't even have a positive um, you know so it just says this is this is not good uh, obviously in a mature would be the opposite of this you know listening and all those things I mentioned earlier okay let 's go about your influence on other people. how do you influence other people chapter eighteen verse sixteen it says a person's gift opens doors for him and brings him before great. Now, what the scene is, is you'd like to have a conversation with somebody and you knock on their door and guess what you have in your hand? You have a gift. You have a, guys, box of chocolates or flowers or whatever. And maybe you're meeting in a business context and you bring, hey, I thought you might enjoy this. Here's a journal or a planner or a book I read or whatever whatever it might be. All these things. It's just common sense here. Simple courtesy, kindness, thoughtfulness, graciousness, generosity. Just those simple steps open a lot of doors. They do. Um, those things go a long way. That's why at Valley Church, when we think about influencing our community, we say what? We do good works. We are very active, proactive, interactive, aggressive, zealous for good works because we know that builds bridges to people. We show kindness, compassion, and mercy, and goodness to everybody in our community, even to our enemies. And it, what it does is build good, it builds goodwill. We say we do good works, we build goodwill. People some anyway make, begin to listen they begin to respect they really appreciate and it begins with, they begin to form relationships with us cuz we're very we're active in doing kind thoughtful considerate things and then we become good neighbors we're not just acquaintances now we actually connect at a neighbor level and a neighbor can be somebody at work somebody in your neighborhood whatever it might but there's a good neighbor the person in the next cubicle whatever it might be you you, you may you become you excuse me you become a good neighbor And ultimately, this can open up opportunities to share good news. So we do good works, build goodwill, become good neighbors and share the good news. You wanna advance your life, here's what helps. What really helps, there's really no not helping in this verse. It's just do good works and be very generous. It just opens doors for you. Generosity opens the door um, for you. Being kind, being thoughtful. And really actively pursuing kindness. And this applies to your workplace, your family, relationships, community, neighborhood, whatever it might be. It opens doors for you. So remember, um, on Sunday night, June 4th, we are having the Good for All conference. And we're going to be talking about how you become a more influential believer in Jesus. And we have two fantastic speakers, Lena Abu She's the founder of Living with Power. She's a doctor. She's a Bible teacher, podcaster, is incredibly, incredibly passionate voice, and very, very good at learning to influence others. And then Carlos Whitaker, very impactful speaker. He's just a guy that just deals out hope uh, like you can't believe. And the, you're going to learn, it's going to bless your life personally, but it's also going to help you become a much more influential believer in Christ to open doors to other people and neighbors and opportunities and opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's, let's move on to the next one. This is about the impression you make on other people. All right, here we go. Chapter 18, verse 19. An offended brother is harder to reach than a fortified city and quarrels are like the bars of a fortress. When I, when you, when anyone offends someone very deeply, They get defensive about that. Not in a bad way, but they've been hurt badly. And so their trust is broken and they're like locked up, you know. They're not going to trust you because you've offended them so deeply. Quarrels. Quarreling repeatedly. Constantly arguing. Eventually people just shut the door, put the bars down. Katie bar the door. It's a fortress. If you are a person that the impression you make on people, maybe their first, Im- first impression or maybe other impressions you make upon them, is that you offend them deeply or you're constantly arguing with them, this will eventually and usually very quickly result in estrangement and mistrust. Those, that estrangement and mistrust comes quite easily, actually. It's easy to offend, it's easy to argue. What's hard to do is to rebuild and to overcome once that's done. Because that person no longer trusts you. I'm not talking about just, you know, ordinary little things that happen. I'm talking about things that are more deep than that. Serious offenses. Um, And and I'm going to tell it to you straight here. In Christ, they may forgive you. But that doesn't mean that they trust you. You see, in the Bible, there's no such word as forgiveness worthy. Forgiveness is given freely because of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And we forgive because we've been forgiven by other people. So we're forgiving those people. We're not holding grudges against them. We're not wanting harm to come to them. We're not wanting bad things to come for them. And we treat them with, you know, courtesy and respect. There is... There is no such word as forgiveness worthy, but there is such a word as trustworthy. And that is even though we forgive, it doesn't mean that we immediately trust people who've deeply offended us or constantly arguing with us. It means we're going to have to rebuild that trust and their defenses are up now. And a lot of people, as a pastor, I talk to people in all sorts of situations where they've defended someone. And sometimes they're quite surprised because I say, why don't they forgive me? And I will say to them, well, actually, they have forgiven you. But, but and they list off all the things that they're unwilling to trust them. And I said, there's a difference between forgiveness and trust. Forgiveness is freely given. Trust is earned by you by consistently over a long period of time having consistent integrity, truthfulness, love, respect, and all those things. Because here's what happened to you. is it, I use this illustration all the time with lots of different people. It's kind of like a bank. And you went in there and you just bounced 100 checks. I know we don't do checks anymore, but let's just say the accounts there we Venmoed it or whatever. And it just didn't, and and we wrote a bunch of bad things and we, we went into all these things. You know what, the bank, they may forgive you, you know, they may still, they may not kick you out of their bank and they may still be willing to have this banking relationship with you. But guess what? They're not gonna give you a loan anytime soon. It's gonna take some time to rebuild that sort of trust. It takes history to do that. And so, Understand that. So what is not going to help you, and this is what we need to avoid at all costs, is to deeply offend people or consistently dispute. If you're always arguing, constantly nagging, whatever it might be, or deeply offending people, again, not the ordinary things of life. You know, I said that wrong. I should have said, whatever. I'm talking about, you know, know, serious matters of offense. Um, Then... Then you're gonna. It's gonna be a, a, a really uphill climb for you, and so avoid these things. And if you're in that situation where you've done that, just realize you're in it for the long haul. You've got to love consistently. They can forgive in Christ because we're all sinners, but the, the 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 trust is gonna take a while. Okay, that's the impression you have made in your words. How about your words? This is not just what you're listening to or the conversation you're having, but your actual words that you speak. It says the fruit of a person's mouth. Its stomach is satisfied. This is what's going to fill up your life. And he is filled with the product of his lips. What Solomon is saying here is you are what you speak. Just like we say you are what you eat. Here he says you are what you speak. The words of your mouth, the words out of your mouth define your life. And then make it either really great or not so great. That's the fruit that you will experience. Everything you say, every word you speak is influential and has fruit to it. Verse Chapter 18, verse 21 says, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. This is a important verse in the book of Proverbs um, because it's saying that the power of the things that we say to people, the things that we say in our lives We can be life takers or life givers. We can speak life into people or we can speak criticism and judgment and death to people. It just kills them, it just hurts them, whatever. That's what we're, it's in the power of what you say. Do not underestimate the words that you speak. Things that are spoken that are not forgotten because they've gone down into that person's soul that is in the power of your tongue and it influences your life as well you will experience the fruit of these things that you have said to people and you will, you you have uh, spoken to them. Uh, and those who love it will eat its fruit. So if you fall in love with gossip, if you fall in love with criticism, you're going to eat the fruit of that. If you fall in love with kindness and constructive words and words of affirmation and blessing, you're going to you're gonna experience good fruit from that. That's what he's saying. So here's the principle, it's pretty simple. When you think about the words you speak, this is not helping when you choose junk food. This does help is when you choose health food. It's like when you choose junk food, it's like a diet, a steady stream of Twinkies and Little Debbie's, um, you know, whatever. That's that's not gonna be healthy. You're not gonna benefit from that. The fruit of that is gonna be not good. Whereas if you choose healthy food and and you know you, everybody uh, enjoys an occasional chocolate or dessert, we get it, but if you have a generally healthy diet in the words that you speak, you're gonna benefit so greatly from that. And so are all the people around you. Finally, all of this, everything that we've said, all this picture of everything that we've said is about where you're gonna find your ultimate strength. Because none of these things are we gonna pull off in our own strength and, and power. They require, Jesus to show up. We have to have a relationship with Jesus to do so. We have to have his strength, his power, his goodness. We have to have his eyes to see. We have to have ears to hear his word to us. We need his Holy Spirit to empower and strengthen us, to resist temptation, to do the right thing, to glorify him. We've got to find it. And we're going to have hard situations that we find. And what we tend to do is we run to our own strength. We run to our own power. We run to our own resources. Um, here it says, um, verse eight, chapter 18, verse 10, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are protected or are saved, are safe. That's what it's saying here. This means we have a deep trust in God. It begins when we cross that line of faith and realize that we're sinful apart from any relationship with God. We stand before him, sinners, sinners, But we realize he's a God who so loved us, he sent his son to die for us. And we cross that line of faith and ask for his forgiveness, repent of our sins and say, I want to receive your forgiveness. And we begin to, we ask him for that. He freely grants it to us through the cross of Jesus Christ where he paid the penalty for our sins in our place when we cross that line, the Holy Spirit comes to live within it, in us. And in the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God are the heaven's resources where heaven reigns and rules. Instead of, there's two HRs, there's human resources we can go to and there's heaven's resources we can go to. And what this verse is saying is don't go to human resources. Don't look to yourself. Don't look to your gut. Don't, look to your, don't trust your heart apart from Christ go to heaven's resources. That's the HR you wanna seek. Not human resources, but heaven's resources. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The name of the Lord is, is, is not just his name, like Lord or Jesus or his name, but, but it's, it's his reputation, his character. And when you say, when I live in his character, that's a strong tower for my life. When I live and walk in the ways of Jesus, that's walking in the name of the Lord. That's a strong tower for your life where you're safe, where you're protected. This is a great place to live your life from. In other words, in this position, you're going to be able to take in and withstand all the assaults of the world, the flesh and the devil. And you're gonna advance in your life, your relationships and your influence. Here's the principle, run to the Lord. This helps. Run to the Lord in all things. Run to the Lord in everything you do. All these things we've talked about. Um, Jesus said in, in Matthew's gospel about how people worry about a lot of the different things and they just, we get chasing after these things. And, uh, and he says, that's what people who don't know God do. They just chase after stuff. They want it and they're worried about it. And he says, you know, I know what you need. You seek first the kingdom and the righteousness of God, living, walking with Jesus, walking in the right ways. I got you covered. He says, all these things will be provided for you as well. You can trust me. Seek me first. Put me first. Put all my wisdom that you've heard in this book of Proverbs, put those first. It's going to go well for you. You're, you're, not that life's always going to be easy, but that you're going to experience that. So, I'm back at Mother Bear's Pizza and I'm 18 years old. And a wise older brother was giving me some wisdom about how to advance in my life. Gratefully, somehow, by the, solely by the grace of God, I actually listened to him. And I gotta tell you, I still go back to those simple things that he said that day about life. And I apply them generally, not just to college, but to, to life itself. And and that's what God wants us to do with his word. He wants us to take these simple principles and just live them. It didn't do any good for me to eat a pizza dinner with my brother at Mother Bear's when I was 18 years old and just listen to him. I had to take them to heart. I had to actually listen to them, take them in and then live them. The truth is, it's not really all that complicated. It's listening to it and then saying, how can I move forward? How can I listen and learn and grow? And God's going to bless us if we do this. He wants us to trust him. He says, seek me first and I'll take care of the rest. Father in heaven, thank you for this. Thank you for this day of uh, graduation weekend. And all of us are at different places in our lives where we um, uh, need to, to just trust you in the future. So we wanna give that to you right now, Lord Jesus. Whatever is in our future, all these wisdom principles, help us to sink them in. A lot to think about today, but help us to choose one or, or, or another and, and really take it to heart. And all God's people agreed and said, amen. God bless you guys. Great to spend time in God's word together. Take these things to heart. Can't wait until we connect again.